Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Matthew, chapter 2. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. The little town of Bethlehem has become a town of Bedlam. The silent night and the holy night has become a night of screaming and a night of terror-filled night of brutal killings of innocent children. As the wise men came from the east, they asked, where is he born, the king of the Jews? And when Herod heard this, you know, if you were with us last week, when Herod heard this, he was troubled. He was troubled. And the Bible says all of Jerusalem was troubled. Why was Jerusalem troubled? Because when Herod's troubled, everyone's troubled. Because Herod is a wicked wicked and evil and cruel man. Herod is the ultimate megalomaniac. He loves, he's a control freak. He loves power and he loves control. We talked about Herod last week. Herod is an Edomite, not a Jew. And Herod is a descendant of Esau. Now, you might remember, Abraham had a son named Isaac, and Isaac married a woman by the name of Rebekah. And Rebekah got pregnant, and she felt this rumbling in her stomach, this turning and this fighting in her stomach. And she said, God, what's up with this? There's a rumbling and a turning and a fighting in my stomach. And it was God who said that there are two nations in your womb, and they are fighting against each other. They're twins, Jacob and Esau. Jacob is the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. Esau became the father of the Arab nations. And Jacob and Esau were at war in the womb. And Jacob and Esau are at war even as we speak. And don't you find it interesting in our text, a son of Esau. Herod is at war with the son of Jacob, Jesus. Herod, he was a short man, four feet, four inches tall. Now that's short. (laughs) He was a short guy. I told you last week, I got to tell you again, I can't stop thinking about it. If I were doing a movie and casting for the role of Herod, I would have to get Danny DeVito. (laughs) He's perfect. He is perfect. Herod was a short guy with a really big ego. And he liked to build big buildings. He was a master builder. He erected palaces and fortresses and entire cities. He was an incredible builder, but he was also brutal. And he was cruel. And he was an evil man. He had his wife murdered. And then two of his three sons he had murdered. One of his sons is mentioned here in our text in verse 22, Archelaus. 
But two of his three sons he had murdered. It was uh, Caesar Augustus who said that it was safer to be Herod's pig than to be his son. And during that time that Herod was king, the wise men came to worship Jesus, but Herod wanted to kill Jesus. And so the angel of the Lord spoke to Joseph in a dream and told him to take Mary and Jesus to the area of Egypt. Did you note this? That the scriptures might be fulfilled. Now listen, remember several weeks back, I told you that there are 37 passages in the gospel of Matthew, in the whole gospel, that make reference or use the phrase that it might be fulfilled. Whenever you see in the scriptures this phrase that it might be fulfilled, you are talking about the Old Testament scriptures being fulfilled in the New Testament. In Matthew alone, there are 37 references or phrases, usages of that it might be fulfilled. Old Testament scripture being applied in this New Testament context. Now here in this chapter alone, there are four of them. Let's take a look at them. Number one, look at verse six. This Old Testament verse is found in Micah chapter five, verse two. But you, Bethlehem, there in verse 6, you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you, Bethlehem, shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This prophecy simply says Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem. Clear as that. A thousand years before he was born, Micah 5-2 prophesies where he would be born. Bethlehem, the city of birth. It's also a city of death. It was Rachel who gave birth to her last boy, Benjamin, and she died there in Bethlehem. And Jacob carved out a grave for her that is still there today. I've been to Israel twice and I've seen it twice. A grave he carved out. Genesis 35, if you want to reference that story. He carved out a grave for her, and it is still there today. So then Bethlehem, remember I told you it means house of bread. The house of bread becomes a place of birth and death. The first prophecy, Micah 5.2. The second prophecy is found in Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt, I called my son, in verse 15, Hosea 11, 1. In the immediate context, this verse is talking about God who will deliver his son Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. And so Matthew is simply saying, even as Israel as a nation came out of Egypt, so the son of God was called out of Egypt. And it's very interesting in the first century, during Herod's persecution, in Egypt, the Jewish population grew to one million Jews. They were fleeing to Egypt. Now, for you Bible students who enjoy this stuff, 
Isaiah chapter 19. You look that up and read it in your own time. In the millennial reign of Christ, listen carefully. In the millennial reign of Christ, that word millennia means thousand years. In the thousand year reign of Christ, the Bible says that God is going to give a third of the blessings to Egypt. Isn't that interesting? Why? Because Egypt blessed God's people. You'll find that in Isaiah chapter 19. Look that up in your own time. But because Egypt was a blessing to God's people, God says, I'm going to be a blessing to Egypt. And not only is he going to be a blessing to Egypt, but he also says, I'm going to call Egypt my children. Now, that's odd. I mean, think about it. Egypt, this is the same place that persecuted God's people. And God says in that thousand year reign of Christ. After the rapture of the church, after the seven years of tribulation, the Bible teaches, if you were in my revelation study, you understand all that. At the thousand year reign, when Christ comes back to reign on the, over the earth, we're going to reign with him. I hope I reign over Hawaii, but that's, I'm claiming Hawaii as my territory. Don't touch it. But we're going to reign with him. And it's during that thousand years, God is going to bless Egypt. That's pretty amazing to me. Our third prophecy. We find that one in verse 17 and 18 here in Matthew. Matthew is quoting Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 15. A voice was heard in Ramah. Lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children. Refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now Ramah. Ramah's an interesting place. It was a place of weeping. Ramah, historically, was a place of suffering, a place of sadness, a place of sorrow. Ramah was located five miles north of Bethlehem. In 586 BC, the Babylonians came down and took the nation of Judah into captivity, and they killed all the children, and the women were left weeping for their slain children. Rama was also the place where mass deportations would take place. And Rachel's weeping was symbolic of all the mothers of Israel weeping. And so Matthew, inspired by the Spirit, says this was a pointing to or the ultimate fulfillment in the Christmas story. There is no doubt that Jesus is the promised Messiah and Savior. Hosea chapter 11 verse 1 points to Jesus' flight and return from Egypt. And Jeremiah chapter 32 verse 15 points to the murder of the children in Bethlehem. And so Herod, he issues an order to kill all the children under two. As far south as Bethlehem and as far north as Ramah. The blood is flowing. The mothers are screaming. Parents weeping, babies crying and dying. It's no longer a silent night, but a screaming night as the soldiers are marching through the streets, killing their sons. And mothers mourn because their children are no more. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. I don't think so. But here's the good news. It's in Psalm 126, verse 5. I love this verse. It says, those who sow in tears shall weep in joy. And then I love this verse, Psalm 30, verse 5. 
Weeping, matter of fact, read it, read it with me. Weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. You say to me, Rodney, you don't understand. You don't understand the pain I'm going through. You don't understand the suffering. You don't understand the tears that I shed even last night. I came to church and I was sad, but I came because I that's all I knew to do. Rodney, you don't understand. You're right, I don't understand. But let me tell you what I do understand. The Bible says that weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. That's all I do understand. I don't know what your problems are, and and nobody can know them all, but God knows them all. The Bible says that God takes all of our tears, and he bottles up every one of them. That means that he just remembers. He sees, he knows, he remembers. Weeping may endure for a night. But if you just hold on, listen, this is a word for someone here. If you just simply hold on to Jesus, joy will come in the morning. And if you've been a Christian for more than a week, you know that's right. Amen. Joy will come. That's a sermon in itself. We don't have time. Joy will come in the morning. Well, our fourth and final prophecy in verse 23. Look in your Bibles with me. He shall be called a Nazarene. Now, listen, we don't know where this prophecy is found. No one knows. But we do know the Bible is very clear that Jesus was a Nazarene. He was from the city of Nazareth. The, let me add the despised, despicable city of Nazareth. You remember Nathaniel? He said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? That was a, it was a bad city. It was like being from the, the worst, worst, worstest. Is that a word? No. The baddest. Is that a word? Okay. Really bad, bad ghetto. Nazareth was worse than that. And so Nathaniel says, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Well, here, Nathaniel, uh, yeah, hello, yeah, the Messiah came from Nazareth. The Savior of the world came from Nazareth. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Uh, Let me see. Yes, Jesus. We do know that. Now, talking about Bible prophecy. There are literally hundreds. Listen, if you're taking notes, you write this down. There are more than 300 prophecies in the Old Testament written thousands of years before Christ was born. Peter said it like this. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, Peter said, We have also, we Christians, have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well, that you take heed, as unto a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arises in your hearts. Literally, Peter says, we have a more solid word of prophecy, a more important word of prophecy, or a more certain word of prophecy. We have the prophetic word concerning Jesus. The Bible gives us prophecies to prove that he is the one who is promised. And there are hundreds. We don't have time. And they're amazing. Remember Zechariah 9.9? From, from Daniel chapter 9, you remember that? 
As Jesus comes riding into the holy city of Jerusalem, the day in which he was going to ride in was prophesied by Daniel. Some of these prophecies are just unbelievable and and amazing. But Jesus fulfilled all 300 of them. Unbelievable. What is the probability that a man would fulfill even eight of them? Well, there was a gentleman by the name of Peter Stoner. Peter Stoner wrote a book called Science That Speaks. And in this book, Science That Speaks, Peter deals with the law of probability. What is the probability of a man fulfilling just eight of those 300 prophecies? Well, Peter has calculated that the probability of any one man fulfilling eight of those prophecies is, get this, one in ten to the 17th power. That would be a one with 17 zeros after it. The chances of one person fulfilling all eight of the prophecies would be equivalent to covering the state of Texas two feet deep in silver dollars and putting a red X on one of them. Then cover the eyes of a man, spin him around, and then have him walk through all of Texas blindfolded And whenever he chose, he should just take his hand, reach down, pick up a coin, and that coin should have a red X on it. That would be the probability of one man fulfilling just eight of these prophecies. Well, take eight. That's one in the 17th power. Take take 16. That's one in 10 to the 45th power. That's a one with 45 zeros after it. Then consider 48 of the prophecies. The odds become 1 in 10 to the 157th power. That would be 1 with 157 zeros after it. And what is the chance of 300 prophecies being fulfilled in one person? Listen, the number is incomprehensible. It's unillustratable. It's unbelievable. The it's either incomprehensible, unillustratable, and unbelievable, or it's God. Amen, saints. It's God. And Jesus, the Bible says, and that's why Peter says it's a more sure word of prophecy, and you would do well to take heed to it. I like Peter. It's a God thing. Jesus fulfilled them all. Notice in verse 16 in your Bible, when Herod realized that he was tricked by the wise men, the Bible says in verse 16 that he was exceedingly angry. These words exceedingly angry do not do justice in the original language. This literally means that the fury of Herod exploded because of the actions of the wise men. Herod was totally out of control, and now his anger and his fury is controlling everything he thinks, says, and does. He is out of his tree. He is so angry. And so he orders the murder of all male children who were in Bethlehem and its districts, two years old and under. Man, unbelievable. The babe in Bethlehem. This week I I happened to have some time for reading. And I I ran across this story that, that I want to take the time to read to you. Listen to this story. It's the story of Hadrian, one of the greatest Roman emperors who waged war against the Christians in the Roman Empire. 
A group of 40 Christians were gathering and studying and worshiping in northern Italy. And one day soldiers came and surrounded them and said, Upon the order of the emperor, your worship of this so-called king of the Jews must cease immediately or you will be executed. And these 40 men said, Do what you will. If it costs us our life, then so be it. Well, the soldiers took the 40 men to a mountainous region that was located in the area. The temperature was cold. It was wintertime. And a small lake in the area was frozen over and a solid piece of ice. And the leaders of the soldiers said, listen, you've got one more opportunity to to deny this so-called king of the Jews, the Messiah. And if you don't, we'll place you on the lake naked until your bodies freeze over. And one of the 40 men said, and I love this statement, he said, it is better to freeze for a night than to fry in hell's fire forever. And those 40 men took off their clothes and sat there naked. And the temperatures dropped below freezing and their teeth chattered and their knees knocked. And they made up a song, 40 brave soldiers for Christ. And the Roman soldiers looked on and they mocked and occasionally the captain would call out, come to your senses, men, deny Jesus for just a moment and come in by the fire and be warmed. But they wouldn't. Well, about two or three hours of cold, one man couldn't stand the pain of the cold. And and so he got up and he ran toward the soldiers and said, I deny Jesus Christ. And he was welcomed into the place of the fire that was burning to get warmth. He couldn't pay the price, and he turned his back on the babe of Bethlehem. Uh, I think the story begs the question, what if we were faced with a situation where we had to make a decision whether to stand for the babe in Bethlehem or give our lives or be set free? I read that story, and I thought to myself, I don't know what I would do. I would hope that by the power of the Holy Spirit that I might be able to make a stand for Jesus Christ and to confess him as my Lord, even if, even if it meant my life. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my father. I wonder what we would do. For who? For Jesus. Listen, Jesus, the babe in Bethlehem, he's not a baby anymore. The babe in Bethlehem, we just read it, grew up to be a child. And that child grew up to be a man. And that man, the Bible says, was the Lamb of God sent to take away the sins of the world. And it was that man that they spit on. It was that man that they mocked. It was that man that they planted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. It was that man who they nailed to Calvary's tree. It is that man who they rose up. It's that same man that people walked by and they mocked him and they said, if you are the Christ, then save yourself. The reality is if Jesus had saved himself, he could not save others. So it's that same man hanging on that cross who died on that cross that they put him in the grave and he was buried for three days but listen it doesn't stop there you know he rose again from the grave amen saints Jesus came out of that grave and he rose again and he went to heaven and the Bible says yes praise the Lord the Bible says that he is in heaven even as we speak right now what is he doing is he twiddling his thumbs waiting to come back no The Bible says that he is in heaven even now, and he is making intercession for you and me. What does that mean, Rodney? Well, it simply means that he's praying for you. Let me tell you, 
if you got God praying for you, your prayers will get answered. <laughs> you'll be, you'll be, amen. Give the Lord a hand. That's all right. If, you, if God is praying for you, you're going to be all right. <laughs> and he's praying for you. And when you sin, the blood of Jesus covers us and cleanses us from our sin. And it's that same man who's in heaven making intercession for you, the babe, the child, the man. The Bible says he is coming back someday. This is the simple message of the gospel. He's coming back not as a suffering servant, but as a conquering king. The Bible says he's going to come back as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he will rule and reign in righteousness. And when he comes back, I want to be able to boldly say, I confess you as my Lord. I bow my knee and I bow my heart and I receive you. As my Lord, and I'm glad you're coming back. And I'm going to say to him, Lord, it's good to see you. It's been a while. We've been waiting a while. But God, it's good to see you. Amen, saints. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.